Well, good morning again. Uh, it just was good to be back with you guys today after some time away this past week. I really missed being here. Uh, if you were in attendance last week or you were watching online, you noticed we had a little bit of a unique situation happen last week. I want to publicly thank Ray Pyle and Bill Jordan for Ray for writing the sermon last week, Bill for delivering the sermon last week. Uh, if m- Some of you may be nervous that I might ask you in the future, you might start getting lightheaded. Ray was experiencing some dizziness and stuff last Sunday when he woke up, and it wasn't getting better, and so Bill stepped in uh, at the last minute. So thank you, Bill. Thank you, Ray, uh, for, for, for all that you guys did last week. I think Ray is better. I saw him and Sharon this week, uh, this morning, and um, as I sat in Colorado this last Sunday, I want to just acknowledge, I was really grateful for the body of Christ uh, in, a, in a unique way, a way that maybe that I hadn't thought about much before, um, and just the way that people step up and help and make things happen, and so uh, I appreciate both these guys, not just with this, but lots of things, um, and last Sunday I think was a little bit of a glimpse of that, and it's great to be a part of the body of Christ, amen? And so I'm happy that Ray is feeling better. I joked with him before worship that I think he owes Bill a round of golf uh, this week if he, if he hadn't already paid for it. So uh, I want to acknowledge that and, and uh, thank both of those guys. Also, before we start this morning, I want to, uh, to recognize a couple of people, uh, two, two families that uh, want to be officially recognized as a part of this church family. One is David and Tammy Asbill, who are sitting right here in front of the Yeldells. Y'all would just kind of wave, wave your hand. Let's welcome them. David is uh, the director of the Kaufman County Children's Shelter here, and, and Tammy's wife works for Foster's Home for Children, uh, and they've moved to the area. We're really thankful to uh, welcome them to this church body, looking forward to the ways that they'll uh, get involved. They have three adult children uh, that hopefully you'll see some in and out of here as, uh, as they're here a longer time. So also want to recognize another family who has uh, been worshiping with us for months uh, but we're going to recognize officially as a part of this body, JB and Sonia Burleson and their kids, Molly, Ray, and Ty Burleson, who are sitting right over here. Y'all wave your hands. Let's welcome them. Uh, JB and Sonia both, both work for Kaufman ISD. You're all officially Kaufman Lions football fans if you weren't before today because JB is the head football coach uh, here in Kaufman, so you have to cheer for them now. Uh, so I want to ask you to stand with me, and if you're near one of these families, just to surround them. Put your hand on them. We're going to pray this morning uh, for them and for our time in worship uh, or in God's word together. Let's pray. Father, it's good to be a part of the body of Christ, and uh, we're thankful for the ways that you've continued to work. Uh, We've seen that many ways. We've seen that many ways we have not, uh, but we know you've still been working over the last year. It's been a difficult year, and yet you continue to to bring about uh, so many positive things in light uh, light of the the challenges that so many have experienced. And so we're just come this morning thankful, grateful for the ways that you use people, um, that you use the local church con- to continue to make an impact in the communities where we live and work and worship. And I, pr- I pray this morning, Father, for, uh, for David and Tammy and for JB and Sonia and Molly and Ty and Ray and thankful for them and the ways that uh, I know the Burlesons have already jumped in and gotten involved. We look forward to the ways, ways that uh, the Asbills will as well. We ask that we will be 
a community of support and encouragement for them that will come alongside them in whatever ways we can, and we look forward to the ways that you'll use their families uh, to bless this church body as well and continue to bless this, this county. Uh, we ask now, God, that you'll be with us as we open your word together from 1 John, that you'll give us, uh, again, eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear so that we might live in the way you want us to live. And I pray that you'll help us to be aware today in, in increasing ways of your love for us and the way that you've asked us, you've invited us to extend that love that we've received to those around us. We pray through the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys. Y'all can have a seat. <clears throat> so 1 John is the series that we're in, and we're going to continue that this morning. We have two weeks uh, that we're going to continue in this series. This past week, uh, as, as many of you know, our family had the opportunity to spend some time away on vacation, uh, and <clears throat> we were able to enjoy God's creation in Colorado, spend a lot of time outside. And uh, just our time outside and thinking about, you know, the things that God does outside, the activities that are available, it got me thinking about a story that I heard recently about a guy named Bruce Larson. Bruce Larson uh, was a minister for years in California, and he, he loved the outdoors. He loved to take his family outdoors and spend time outdoors. And particularly, he liked to ride bikes. He was a big mountain biker, and he was trying to get his kids involved and interested in mountain biking. And so one day, uh, and they would go on these trails all over the Bay Area of California where they lived. And, and one day, they were out riding ar around on these trails, and there was, uh, they were riding through an area that was kind of, it was, it was kind of wooded, and there, there was an area they had never really been before, kind of a different part of town. And they see this sign as they're riding on, the, on their bikes. Again, it's, a, it's Bruce and his wife, and they're three kids, and they're riding on their bikes. And they see this sign that says, Naturalist Camp. And they think, well, here's a new trail we've never been down before. Let's go check it out and explore. And so Larson takes his wife and his kids on this bike trail down this road that, where the sign had said Naturalist Camp. And about a fourth of a mile away down the road, this trail, six people from the other direction come toward them also riding bikes. And as they're walking by them, or they're riding by them, suddenly the definition of naturalist camp becomes very, very clear to Bruce and his wife and his, what he thinks is his children. So they didn't have a stitch of clothing on them. They were completely naked, and they were riding bikes. And Bruce and his wife obviously didn't know what to do. This is not a parenting moment that you prepare for. And so they are completely speechless. They stop and slow down on their bikes to kind of catch their breath and get their bearings. What in the world are we going to do? What are we going to say? And it was about that time when their five-year-old pipes up and says, um, those people weren't wearing helmets. And it was in that moment that Bruce Larson was very, very thankful that his five-year-old missed the most obvious thing in that situation. And I was thinking about that in regard to our study in 1 John, and specifically what we're going to look at today here at the end of this series in chapters 4 and chapters 5, which we'll look at over the next two weeks. And, and I think that of all the things that John really wants to say in this letter, John wants to make sure that we don't miss what he thinks is the most obvious, the most 
clear thing that we might catch. And he really focuses in on it here in chapter 4. And in many ways, at the end of this letter, he's, he's kind of hinted at and said some things in previous chapters that he's already that he's going to say now, but he wants to reiterate it. He wants to guarantee that we are not going to miss the most important message that he has to communicate. And so he repeats himself in, in a lot of ways. And that message is a message of love, that God is love, and that that love changes everything. So I want to read together. This is a longer passage of Scripture, so kind of bear with me, but I want you to hear it all. I decided, I've kind of debated, should I read all of it or not, but I want to read all of it so you kind of get a sense of what I mean by how important this is to John. He's really hammering this message home. And so we're going to begin in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. We're going to read through verse 21. Uh, If you want to follow along here on the screen or you can look in your Bible as well. This is what John writes. He says, Dear children, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. People do see God if we do this. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Amen? If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. It's these verses that are really the heart of John's message. This is what John wants to say. And everything that has been written prior to this builds up to this moment. Everything that he'll say after this, I think, connects to this moment. And we're going to walk back through several parts of this passage that I want to focus on today. But I want us to get very clearly this morning that love is what's on John's mind. And so that we don't miss it, he repeats it over and over and over again in these verses. God is love. You know, love is an interesting word. When we hear the word love in our day, what may come to mind is some sort of soft, mushy kind of idea, cute idea about love. Maybe the word to you feels a little bit tired because it's overused. We see it and hear it and read about it so often. It's it's everywhere. It's in our language. It's in our books. It's in our movies. Maybe nowhere is it more than our music. Did you know that there are more than 10 thousand songs on file at the U.S. Copyright Office that all begin with the title, Love 
is. Everybody, it seems, is trying to describe and define and articulate exactly what is love. And because of this, I think in our way of thinking about this word, it's a, it's a complicated word because it's used in so many different ways. It's overused in so many different ways. It's not used correctly in a lot of ways, right? That when we hear it, many, in many, many cases, when we hear these three words from John, God is love, they don't land with us the same way that they would have landed with John's original audience. For many of us, we've heard it, right? God is love. But for John's audience, this, this phrase, and I want to kind of if you will, take yourself there in your mind for just a minute to try to imagine what they would have experienced. For this original audience, this idea that God is love was still kind of building. It was kind of growing. It was new. They were getting used to the idea in many ways. They had heard about it because this letter was written after John's gospel. And so many of these people had heard stories of Jesus and heard the way that Jesus changed the world. In many cases, and it's, it's certainly the case, that Jesus put love on the map like it had never been experienced before. Love, prior to Jesus, just to kind of give you a little bit of background about it, that wasn't the way that you described what happened between God, or the gods, lowercase g, and human beings. Right In Jesus' day, nobody talked about Zeus being love. Nobody would have ever talked about that. Certainly no one would have talked about people loving Zeus. That wasn't how people interacted with Zeus. No one would have ever talked about Zeus loving people. Aristotle himself once said, it would be eccentric to talk about people loving the gods, lowercase g. And I share all of that because I think it's important that we are aware of the fact that our entire idea of God, capital G God, our God, Yahweh, the creator of the world, being love and loving human beings was a radical idea originally. We're, we're from more familiar with it, so it doesn't feel that strange or unusual. But it was unheard of in the Greek and Roman empires in Jesus' day. In ancient culture, the gods weren't, weren't so much to be loved as to be, be appeased. Right? In fact, the gods were, were quite moody. And your role in relationship to them really was just to do the right thing, to offer the right sacrifice just to kind of keep them happy so they weren't overly angry at you. And it's into this world that Jesus steps. And Jesus shows us what God is like. And now John writes these three powerful words. God is love. I want you to think of those three words as really a summary statement, trying to encapsulate and incorporate all that God is. John says it twice in verse 8 and verse 17. He says, God is love. And, and, and notice, he doesn't say love is one of the attributes of God. Think of, think of love as sort of the essence of all of the attributes of God. Right? Anything that you know about God, you've experienced through the love of God first and foremost. And I know at this point, sometimes people will push back and they'll go, yeah, Doug, but I, I understand this idea, God is love, but God is also just Yes, God is love, and I believe that, but God is also holy. Yes, God is love, but God is also has judgment for our sin. And I, I want to call this the love but doctrine, like the way of thinking about God. It's like you gotta you gotta qualify it, right? We wanna we feel like we have to balance this by qualifying it. Surely God can't be love alone. There's got to be something else we add to it. 
I want us to hear as clearly as we can this morning. John says, love isn't something that we put alongside all of the other qualities of God. God is love first, period. God is love, as they say in England, full stop, right? There's no adding to it. There's no, there's no comma there. There's no additional thing. God is love, which means that everything else that is true about God flows out of love. And so I think, I think of 1 John 4, 8 as, and, and 17, really both those times when he says that as a summary statement about God that would have been a very radical new idea. Not only the love that is exchanged between God and humans, but that God himself is love. And beyond what he says here, I want you to also notice that John doesn't really go to a lot of great, like we want, like I want, I don't know how you feel about it, I want like John to give us more information about that. And John doesn't go into a lot of great lengths to explain God's love or to expound upon God's love. He seems to be more concerned with the things that he says next. And and it just kind of keeps getting better. After he offers that summary, he defines love for us. And he defines love by pointing us to the cross. In 1 John 4, 9 and 10, I want to reread these verses. He says, this is how God shows us what love is. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what is, what is John saying? What he's saying is that God's love is most clearly seen. God's love is most clearly seen through the sending of Jesus Christ and Jesus' death on the cross. John, John is hoping to be very clear. He's trying to be very clear. This is how you know what love is. You look at Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross is the clearest revelation of what God is like, the clearest picture of what God is like, which means it's so important, it is so important that our view of God, your view of God, and your understanding of God be solidly anchored in the cross from beginning to end of your faith. That that is what our eyes and our heart and our mind go back to is Jesus on the cross. And that this is the picture of love. Keep your eyes on the cross is what John would want us to say. To truly understand God, keep your eyes on the cross. To truly understand what God is up to in your life and in the world around you and the lives of other people, keep your eyes on the cross. You have to look to the cross. If you have been hurt or not loved well or you're questioning the love that you have in a human relationship, look at the cross and be reminded about what love is. If you're discouraged, you have doubts, questions, you're feeling defeated in some way or another, look at the cross because the cross tells us the most perfect way that God is. Jesus has shown us what God is and what God is is love. And everything that God does is an expression of love. And John does not want us to miss this most obvious point. And because God's love is most clearly seen on the cross, what comes next is that that love has an expression. It turns outward. It isn't just about us and the love that we experience, this picture that we have that God is love. It's also about the world around us. In 1 John 4.11, he says, Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. And This is huge what John is doing, this shift He's not saying you don't get to keep it for yourself. 
which would be our default, right? Man, what a great experience that I have with God, me and my personal relationship with God. That's part of it. But he says because of that, God has set us an example. God has done something for us, and now he says, copy me. Do what I'm doing. And I've spent a lot of time talking about God being loved, but again, I want us to notice that John doesn't go to great lengths to talk much about that. He is so concerned about this part of it, the expression of it, what it looks like in real life, how we're going to live as children of God. And for John, it's a question of what happens when we know and believe that God loves us. And I think in a lot of ways, what he's doing in all of these verses is he's, he's taking the greatest command, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he is putting that into his own words, right? He's saying on the cross, Jesus demonstrates this self-sacrificial, others-oriented, focused on other people, people-driven, enemy-embracing love, and he invites us to do the same thing. Since God loved us this much that he would go all the way to the cross, we ought also to love one another. But I want to ask the question still, even though we've said God is love, I want to ask this question, well, what is love? Because again, our, our picture of love, our understanding of love is a little bit different, right? In order to love the way that Jesus loved, I think we have to know what it exactly it is that we're committing to. So what exactly are we committing to when we agree to love people like God loved us? Because I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of like a big deal, right? There's a, a Bible scholar by the name of Scott McKnight that's taken, he's taken the Hebrew word hesed, which is an Old Testament word for love. We see it in places like scriptures like Lamentations chapter 3, 22 and 23, this, this passage that you're, many of you are familiar with, the steadfast love of the Lord, the hesed of the Lord, never ceases and his mercies are new every morning. And what, he did, what Scott McKnight did, he was looking for a way to talk about love in kind of modern language. And so he took this Old Testament Hebrew word hesed and he took the, the New Testament Greek word agape, which is the word that John uses over and over and over here in 1 John chapter 4, and he tried to come up with a definition of love. And he says that he, he believes, and, I, and I, I'm, I'm with him, I'm following with what he's saying, he says he believes that if we want to learn love in a clear and succinct way, it's helpful to think about it this way. This is the definition that he offers. He says, love is a rugged commitment to be with someone, to be for someone unto Christ's likeness for as long as it takes. Love is a rugged commitment to be with someone, to be for someone unto Christ's likeness for as long as it takes. And I actually want us to say these words together this morning, and so let's do that now. Love is a rugged commitment to be with someone, to be for someone unto Christ's likeness for as long as as it takes. You might want to write that down or snap a picture of it. I think it might even be helpful for some of us to memorize those words. And I want to think about these words for just a minute as a kind of a, a, a way to think about 1 John chapter 4. One reason I like this summary definition is because the first line takes away any emotions or feelings in, in, in many ways. Right? And so much of what we think about love is connected deeply to emotions and feelings. So that if we don't feel like loving somebody, well, then we just might not do it. But if you think about love this way, love being a rugged commitment, John says we do this because we've already made the decision to do it, even if we're not feeling it. 
You do this because God went first. It's a rugged commitment. Rugged meaning that it might be hard at times. It might be bumpy on the road if you're really going to love people well. Right? And if you watch the God of Israel, the Father of Jesus Christ, love in the pages of the Bible, we discover that love is a rugged commitment. Because the people whom God loves are often, if not always, unfaithful and inconsistent. So it is a rugged commitment. God is extending this rugged commitment to us. He's saying, no matter what happens, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to keep going. I'm committed to you. But it's, it's a rugged commitment. Notice the second line that comes with presence. It's not love from a distance. It's love that comes with presence. God is with his people. In the garden in Genesis chapter 1, in the pillar of cloud and fire in Exodus, God is with his people in the glory that descends upon the temple. God is with his people in Jesus Christ. God is with his people as he sends the Holy Spirit to live in us. Even at the end of the story in the book of Revelation, God will again dwell with his people, Revelation says. Love is a rugged commitment of presence. God is is not only committed to us, but God is going to be with us. But God is also, the third line, for us. In the Old Testament, God communicates this by saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. The way I would say that to you and I today is that God is in your corner. God is not an angry being up in heaven with a lightning bolt that is waiting to strike you and I down upon the first step that we take that's wrong. God is interested in us. God is for us. God will be committed to us and with us and for us. But God is also committed to changing us. To The Bible word for that is transforming us, not leaving us the way that God found us. So God, through the Spirit, makes us more like Christ. God, this is the way that it, the, the New Testament talks about it. God says, I am holy, so you be holy. I am loving, so you be loving. I think it's a great way to talk about love, and I think it's a great way to talk about what God has done for us, and then in turn, to help us think about what we are to do for other people, to be ruggedly committed to them, to be for other people, and to grow together, maybe walking with people at times until we are all more like Jesus Christ. If you look at how God has loved you, through Jesus, through the church, through creation, through relationships, through the beauty that you see around you, all the different ways that God has communicated God's love, and then do likewise, right? Love is not a soft, fragile, squishy idea, cute idea. It's a rugged commitment that doesn't give up. It's a till death do us part kind of love. That's what agape is. That's what hesed is, steadfast Love And John says, this is what God is. God is with you and for you and will never leave you or forsake you. God has made a rugged commitment to you to be with you until death do you part. And God is going to continue to be for you as long, for as long as it takes. And so I want to close this morning with two questions to try to apply 1 John chapter 4. And the first question is, will you let God love you? For some of us, receiving the love of another person is actually difficult. And I want to acknowledge that this morning for different reasons. We all have different reasons that that's difficult. We want to pretend like we got it all together. 
You know, maybe it's a little awkward or uncomfortable. We're not really sure what to do, how to do that, or what, what that might always look like. But I want to I I ask you to consider this question this morning. Will you let God love you? Part of what we're doing when we are in this, this following Jesus that we're doing is allowing ourselves to be loved this way, to be loved in this rugged, committed, God is for us and with us until we, until we take our last breath kind of way. That's what we agreed to when we entered into a relationship with Jesus is that we will receive that love, this sort of deep and abiding commitment that God offers us. And Jesus is the ultimate expression of the depth of God's love, the width of God's love. And I want to, I want to remind you what verse 18 that we read earlier, it's not going to be up here, but I want to remind you what it says. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear, John says, has to do with punishment. The one who has fear has not, the one who that fears has not been made perfect in love. So in our relationship to God, there is no fear. And some of us, if we're doing an honest evaluation, we still fear God in an unhealthy way. I'm not talking about the reverence way. That's a different thing. We, we fear God in like, like that whole, that I might misstep and God will strike me down kind of a way. John says that doesn't exist in, a, in, the, in the ideal relationship that p- human beings have with God, which again would have been a mind-blowing, radical idea for this early audience to have heard. But there is no fear in love. There's a comfort, a familiarity. And some of us, again, are still afraid of God. Maybe you think you haven't done enough. Maybe you think God is disappointed in you. And I want to ask you to consider this morning if that is where your heart goes as you think about this idea of will you let God love you. I want to ask you to look at the cross. Keep your eyes fixed on the cross. What do you see when you look at the cross? My hope is that you see an overwhelming amount of love because God loves you. Will you let God love you? Will you let God's love for you drive out the fear that might be in your heart? Will you receive this love that is put on display on the cross? And the second question that I want to ask for us to consider this morning is will you be an expression of God's love to other people? We love because he first loved us. I would suggest that we need Jesus. We need Jesus' teaching in order to love people. Paul in Galatians says that love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit that lives in you and I, which means it is not a fruit of me or you. And some of you may be thinking, I can't love them anymore. I'm all out of love for that person. And I would say that's okay because God isn't. The fruit of the Spirit is love, not the fruit of you. And your answer to this question, will I be an expression of God's love to others, I think, again, starts with a commitment to them, a rugged commitment. Who do you sense the Spirit leading you toward? Maybe there's more than one person. Who in your life can you show a rugged commitment to? I'm not asking you if they deserve it, if they've done everything to warrant you doing that. I'm asking you, will you do that? Who can you commit to be with and to be for and for as long as it takes, just like Jesus has done? 
for you. And I, want you, I don't want to overthink this or complicate it. I just want you to maybe go with the first person that comes to your mind and go from there. Maybe it's already somebody that's close to you and around all the time. Maybe it's you just want to kind of redouble your efforts with that relationship. Maybe it's someone with whom you have some sort of distance or you don't see as often or talk to as often. I don't know how that plays out in each of our lives, but will you be an expression? Will I be an expression of God's love to others? That's ultimately what John wants to ask us, is once we understand just how deep the Father's love really is that we just sang about, Will we be an expression of that love to other people? The way that Jesus wanted to change the world, church, is through love. This is the most radical message of Jesus Christ. In the greatest command, he, he, he takes this very familiar, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love, and, and, and he teaches that. Every Jew that heard that that day thought, well, yeah, we knew that one was coming. That's the greatest command. And then he takes this random, obscure Leviticus passage that nobody thought he was going to pull out of there. And he says, of all the commands, of all the over 600, and, you know, 600 commands, 613 approximately commands that the Jews were to follow, these two, everything hangs, Jesus says, on these two. Everything is supported by these two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is John's way of conveying that message. This is his way of communicating the greatest command. Jesus intended to change the world with love. And in this paragraph of this this letter, John has taken the very foundation of Christian love. And it would have been easy for us to miss the obvious if we just blew right past this, to be like that five-year-old riding on the trail that day through the naturalist camp. But I want us to catch clearly this morning so that we don't miss it, that God loves you. This has never been on display more clearly than on the cross. And today, if you've not received that love, man, I want to encourage you. I'd love to visit with you. Other people in this audience would love to visit with you. One way that we express our love for God is by surrendering our lives to Him, committing our lives to Him in baptism, and having our sins washed away. If you've never taken that step, We'd love to help you do that. Maybe you're in a place where you've been walking with God for years, but as I talk about expressing God's love to someone else, that idea is really difficult. Or maybe receiving God's love is really an idea that's really difficult for you, and you're not sure what that looks like. Maybe you've struggled with that in the past. Will you rest today in the truth that God is for you, and that God is with you, and that God is committed to you for as long as as it takes. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning, if you would. We're going to sing our next song, and uh, if you have someone around you, uh, just maybe keep an eye on people around you. Maybe there'll be an opportunity as we sing this song to pray with someone around you. Uh, If you need someone to pray for you, I want to encourage you to walk across the aisle or slide down the aisle or your row, and, and ask somebody, hey, will you just pray for me? What, what, what we're talking about in this passage, that's, that's pretty difficult for me. Or I know now I've got somebody that's, that's going to require my love, but I need some prayers to be, to be supported in that effort. Uh, however you need to respond to God, let's do that while we sing this song this morning.